Jose Castro was my first step into the artistic world of Los Angeles, Southern California. I'd been isolated in my own COVID world here for months, having moved here during the pandemic. I had just gotten my vaccine and was itching to finally reach out and meet fellow creatives. I saw a Zoom event advertised by the Long Beach Arts Council for an event run by Jose that aimed to facilitate meaningful conversation with us sharing stories about our lives related to what Jose called the convergence, events related to the pandemic, to Black Lives Matters protests, and more that was happening all at once. The moment I signed on and saw Jose's radiating face as he grooved to music in the background while he was waiting for all the participants to join, my heart started to sing. The moment he opened his mouth, I knew I needed to know more about him. Some people just have that spark. Honestly, that event was the start of everything for me artistically in Long Beach. I later ran into Jose at a meeting for Art Realm, which is a Long Beach-based art collective geared towards specifically emerging artists of color. And then later I saw him at future gatherings. Jose grew up in New Orleans, a deeply curious boy who loved to sing. He went to NYU for dance and later moved to Amsterdam to start a dance company. As someone who loves to sew his own clothes, Jose moved to Los Angeles to get involved in the fashion industry. When that didn't satisfy him, he decided to try out some new passions, photography and teaching, his two current loves. Jose focuses now on teaching about how to live a meaningful, creative life at an organization that he founded, the New House Education Group. In this podcast, Jose discusses how teaching can become a satisfying art practice in its own right and offers advice on balancing an eclectic creative life when you thirst to do so many things. Jose, thank you for being here. I was just reading a little bit of um, Bell Hooks wrote a book, um, Teaching to Transgress. Mm -hmm. And it's all about like how we need to have teachers who, um, that teaching should be about liberation, you know, that it's like, that's teaching should be this like really elevated art form. Um, so yeah, so I want to hear more about like, how do you do it? What, what's your philosophy? To, <laughs> you know? How do you do it? Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's, for me, it's pretty, it's pretty simple, even though it's not easy. Okay. One, the responsibility of learning is on the teacher, not on the kid or not on the attendee or not on the student. Um, sure. I, 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 that's what, that's the way I feel if, mm -hmm. if, because I hear a lot of teachers complain about their student bodies, you know, and it, it, it doesn't matter if it's grownups or kids or whomever. Um, you know, Oh, these kids today kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that that's mostly about the fact that the teacher is not adjusting to the kid. Mm -hmm. um, so teaching to me, is the, one of the most important components of teaching is listening. Um, listening and the learning of language. And that language is the fact that every person sitting in a room where you're teaching speaks a different language. Whether it's, even if you just break it down to each person being from a different household, that household has a, each household has a different list of 
values that create this language that tell you as a teacher how that person will receive or if that person will receive what it is you're saying. And if I'm not sensitive to that when I step into a room, if I'm not looking for, you know, nonverbal cues, if, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm not saying, thing, saying things in multiple ways mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to That's capture as many yeah. ears as possible, then I'm not doing my job. I, I, that's not a value judgment on anybody else. That's just me. That's the way I do it. Um, I think that um, the components that are really important for me are direction, clear direction, that everybody knows what's happening here, especially when it comes to kids, because kids are, once you lose them, you've lost them. And just because they're kids, if they can, you know, get an extra inch, they're going to take an extra inch, right? It's, that's just that's just the nature of being a child, right? Um, so clarity helps to establish what's happening in this space, what goes on in this space. So I'm really clear about things. I'm mm-hmm. clear about, you know, I'm the teacher, you're the student. Um, we're talking about kids, especially, Mm. um, you know, for instance, when I'm teaching kids, they don't get to call me Jose. They don't Mm -hmm, get to call mm -hmm. me by my first name. They call me by my last name Mm -hmm. or they call me Mr. C. A lot of Mm -hmm. my students affectionately refer to me as Mr. C. Um, and even that little thing makes it clear, makes Mm -hmm. things clear. Uh, when I, when I talk to students, I tell them, you know, I, I really only have one rule and that rule is respect. We respect the space, we respect the process, we respect each other, we respect our instructor. Um, and sort of 1A is be cool. And everybody knows what that means. Like we're all, let's all be cool. We know what it is to not be cool, so let's all be cool. <laughs> okay, so one thing that I want to digress a little and then go back is I was sure. thinking, I was thinking um, about what it, what is the clash for me in terms of art and teaching? And again, it's, it's really not at all about like, I, I value so much teaching. I think the thing that makes it like a little confusing for me is that I do see art a lot of times as like a, a cathartic experience, you mm-hmm. know, where there's a certain expression and for a certain release. And for me with teaching, and I think the same in terms of parenting really is, um, I think it takes a lot of skill. I think it takes a lot of, you know, um, creativity, but it's not cathartic. Like I feel like I have to, and it's, it's probably maybe how I address art versus maybe how you do or how other people do. So I'm mm-hmm. curious of your thoughts on this, but, um, I see like for my art, I see it's like, I can like release like all this like emotion and be just like disregarding everyone else, like mm-hmm. screw everyone else. That's, that's my experience of art. I'm going into my space, screw everyone else. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm not going to be considerate of anyone else. This is my space, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That is like my experience because I feel like so much else in life, I'm trying to be really nice and considerate and feeling everyone's vibes and what do they need and blah, 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 you know, and 
also trying to be authentic in that juggle. But I feel like for me with teaching, it's like you have to, you can't, you can't be as quote unquote selfish, you know, in, in the way, like you have to be so considerate of others. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. I don't experience the catharsis. What are, what are your mm-hmm. thoughts on that? And maybe you don't, don't relate really. art to catharsis. Oh, no, I certainly do. Okay. Um, and I think I would, I would reframe for myself catharsis to satisfaction. Okay. And, and each thing, right? I mean, I have a very, like you, I have an extremely different um, physical, spiritual vocabulary when I'm making photographs than mm-hmm. when I'm teaching. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. I don't have to, I don't have to have this, the, the two things have the same function, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? But they do give me the same level of satisfaction because you, for instance, painting, you sit in, in your studio or wherever you're going to make a painting, right? And you go through this process of assembly, of revelation, of revealing something from that canvas with these paints, right? However that happens for you, whether it happens with some planning or it happens completely improvisationally, whatever that is, right? But there's surface, there is palette, there is impulse. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For me, when I'm teaching, it works the same way. The information is the medium. The surface is whoever's attending. And the palette is everything that I know how to do. So for me, it is the same thing. It's assembly. And the satisfaction comes, and I'm sure when you teach, you get the same satisfaction, I think every teacher does, from that moment of understanding from any given student where somebody goes, oh, now I get it. To me, that is catharsis in Mm -hmm. teaching. Mm -hmm. Different than in making photographs right? Which is a singular experience. And that's even not necessarily true because I do a lot of photographing of human beings. So there is a relationship between me and my subject, but it's a different kind of relationship than with me and a student. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I still have to, I still have to, because as a photographer, when I'm taking the photograph, and by the way, we're going to, I'm going to take your portrait. Um, yes. Headshot. Um, <laughs> Selfie. The, <laughs> that's hysterical. Um, my job as a photographer, when I'm working with another person is to compel them to feel beautiful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's my job. That's the, that's the whole thing. Because if I can make you feel beautiful, I can take a beautiful photograph of you. If I can't do that, then I have to worry about 
oh, I don't take good pictures or nobody's ever been able to take a good picture of me or, right? I have to find a way to turn that switch off and turn on the switch of you are a unique and beautiful human. Mm-hmm. And we're here to capture that. Okay. So I'm definitely seeing this. Um, and I'm seeing there's a certain like healthy distance also that you're creating. I'm curious though of like, do you connect with that idea of like, screw you in your art making or does that not resonate as much? No, I mean, I don't, I don't, I think that, I, I don't think that that occurs to me because I think that that experience is naturally singular, right? If I'm, if I'm, if I'm, I'm going to have to take myself into a different space, both, you know, mentally, psychologically, spiritually, and physically into a different space to make art, right? I'm not going to be making art in a crowded room of people, Mm -hmm. you know, like for a regular thing, unless I'm doing a performance of some sort, Mm -hmm. right? Um, But I think that 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 sort of sense of creative isolation happens naturally. So I don't, I don't have to, I don't think of it in that, in those terms, Mm -hmm. Um, because it is, it is in of its own right. I think it is cosmically selfish, Mm -hmm. which is perfectly fine. I, you know, that, that cosmic selfishness creates something beautiful in the end. Right. So, um, I mean, but then again, your experience and my experience are different because you have three children, um, you know, which is a whole other level of I when when you get the opportunity to isolate yourself in that way you want to be able to like shut all of it out and you know so that's that's the direct result of you know being around people almost 24 7 (laughs) having having a child one child or another you know mom or whatever you know what I mean so that's a that's a, a different experience entirely so I totally get that yeah no there's a lot of thoughts that are coming to my mind I do want to definitely you talk have about- that, I'm sorry did, real quick did you have that feeling before you had children have you always I had think that so. feeling? I, yeah I think it's I think it's a more deep-rooted thing and one of the other things that I'm thinking I mean it definitely comes with children as well but I think it's I, I also think there's a lot of stuff I think there's also a gender element I don't know um, I mean, you might have had a similar experience, but I feel like I'm thinking about another friend of mine who who is a woman and she, like, I feel like there's a lot of pressure in particular for women to be very pleasing. And, oh, for sure. You know, and um, I think, and I'm curious, I mean, of your experience as this as well, but I think that one of the things that I talk about when I talk about how we first started creating art was that in high school, I know I never did art until high school. And I started drawing these, like I took an art class. I started drawing these like screaming naked people. That was like my first, (laughs) my first thing. Right. (laughs) And it was very weird because I was this very smiley, like athlete. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I was like, people were like, um, that doesn't Uh seem to (laughs) resonate. Right. And, um, and I have another I have another friend who she's also very, very kind and sweet and all this stuff. But she's a really intensity that I also see like 
she channels in her art because it's not always acceptable. It's not acceptable usually for anyone, but I think even more so for women. I'm curious of your thoughts on this for your own life, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but um, I think it's, so I think it's a deep rooted thing. I think gender is an element for me of like feeling like the anger that I don't have any other place for or the intensity or the passion like mm-hmm. the, that I should be very nurturing. So I think when I do nurturing things, there's a slight tinge for me of like this feeling of should, you know? So I think even with teaching, it's like I right. should be nurturing. So I like, I felt like how you talked about it, I, there was a nice distance. Like it was, it was also, you care about your students, but it's almost like kind of, it seems like it's also fascinating in your own mind that you're, you're, it's almost this experiment for you. And it's not like, I feel like you're not as emotionally enmeshed of like pleasing them, you know, it's Mm -hmm, like, you're mm -hmm. just watching Mm -hmm. it unfold in this like healthy distance, you know? Yeah. That's. I'm, I'm, I want, I want my students to have a good time when they're learning with me. And part of that is just the satisfaction of them having fun, but also it facilitates their learning better. Um, I am incredibly emotionally enmeshed with my students. Um, Incredibly so. How do you you mean? Well, I mean, you know, I was, I'm just, I was just texting with a former student who's now 25 years old and we're talking about buying new cameras. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I keep, you know, close relationships with a lot of my students after they graduate. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. Um, Because obviously there, there have to be parameters between teacher and student, especially male teacher and student um, in, within, you know, being in school. Um, and of course, rightly so. Um, but I, I, re- I mean, the thing about teaching that, that is also exhausting is that when I'm, if I'm, if I'm teaching in school, when I'm on campus, I'm on the entire time I'm there, whether I'm teaching in a session or not, right? So, you know, I'm observing and, and watching and making sure that kids are all right when I'm walking through the halls, you know, kids are coming up to me and asking me things and telling me stories and whatever, where, wherever I am in the school, whenever I'm there. Right. Um, so, and, and I, my heart breaks when, you know, students graduate because I'm not going to see them every day, you know, that sort of thing, even, even whether they were my students in my classes or not. It feels um, like a healthy love versus pleasing. I am yeah. not interested in pleasing them. Right. Yeah. I'm not there to, I'm not there to coddle. I'm there to, I'm there to facilitate their growth as a human being. So for me, um, I've had, as a matter of fact, in the, in the schools that I've worked in, And other teachers and other teachers and other students would tell yeah. new students this just because you come here, just because you signed up for this class doesn't mean that you're going to stay in it uh-huh. because there are certain things that have to happen, right? right? That level of respect has to be there because I'm not there to treat you like a child. 
I'm not there to coddle you in any way. I, I, I'm definitely there for you. If you need something, come to me and whatever. But I'm not there to like, you know, to please you in that way, you know. And a lot of times, a lot of times the, the parents will say to me, why are, why are my kids listening to you and they don't listen to me? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it's because I'm super clear. There's no gray area here. Kids know that I'm, I don't take any shit, mm-hmm. right? I'm not some staunch disciplinarian, but I will also not be disrespected, right? Um, and that, that relationship is quite different between me and their kid and them and their kid. Mm-hmm. Right. Where there's a lot of negotiation. There's no nego. My classroom is a dictatorship. There's mm-hmm. no negotiation here. Mm-hmm. There's no, you know, we, we, we all know what's happening here. It's very, very clean, very clear. Right. That doesn't mean that I don't respect your opinion. I don't want to hear your voice. I, I, I believe in all of that, but I think all of that stuff exists simultaneously. Yeah. Right. And it also sounds like you don't, you're not, um, Worrying, like, do they like me? Do they not like me? No, not at all. I think that's not an element all. of pleasing. That, not at all. Yeah. But what what it what it turns out as, I mean, I'm I'm pretty satisfied in the fact that they do like me. Um, and they respect me, but they respect me not because they're afraid of me. Sometimes there's that element. Sometimes in the beginning of my relationship with some of my students, you know, two years in, they'll say, when I met you, I was really scared. I was really afraid of you. I thought you were going to be super mean or whatever. And then they're like, but no, it was just that you, it's just that you don't take crap and you're like super clear. I've even had kids who, I have relationship with kids who, who weren't my students in school, mm-hmm. who now as adults were like, I wish I would have taken your classes in, in school. I never did because you wouldn't let me get away with all the shenanigans I got away with in other classes. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so, and oftentimes I would tell, I would have to tell students sometimes I'm not here. I'm not here for you to like me. It's not my job. My job is not to be liked. I mean, it would be nice if you liked me, of course, it would be great. It would be awesome. You know, but when we're in here, we're in here to accomplish something. We're in here to do something. Mm-hmm. You know, there's going to be a there's going to be a process for that. You know, if you have something to say, please say it. If you you know, if, if there's something, if you have questions, please ask them. Just everybody just be cool. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and you, you, that relationship is not the same. I'm not your dad. So that relationship is not going to be the same. You're not going to come to me to try to manipulate me in the same way that you would your your pops. Mm-hmm. It's not. I'm not here for that. That's not right. So that was, that's just clear. Mm-hmm. And I think they benefited from that clarity um, because the rest of their lives, very gray, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Um, whether their lives were incredibly overly supervised or completely unsupervised, you know, especially with the advent of, of, of um, smartphone technology, when their lives were incredibly physically scrutinized and supervised, but their lives online were completely open, mm-hmm. wide open mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. a completely other universe. Sure. Right. Yeah. So building, building that system of trust too was important. Um, you know, in school, I kept up with every technology that came out. 
Um, and kids would inform me of games they were playing or apps they were on or whatever. And I would just ask, you know, what's that for? What do people do there? And whatever, how does this work? And they would tell me all of it, like all of the cool stuff that they were doing, all the dirt that people were doing there, you know, um, which was important to build that trust as well, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, um, because then they know that somebody who is a grown up has some idea of what it is they're dealing with on a daily basis. Mm. That's that listening part that I think mm -hmm. is really mm -hmm. cool. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I want to also um, veer a little into what you were thinking about in terms of you mentioned your interest right now in the creative impulse. Yeah. Well, you know, you, you talked, you said earlier about being a jack of all trades and, and uh, I mean, I, I, I am, I do happen to be multidisciplinary and I think that's because at a fairly early age, I came to understand that the creative impulse is the creative impulse period. And it can be applied across different disciplines in different ways. So for instance, um, and I, in my mind, it's categorized by like disciplines, mm -hmm. physical discipline uh, versus like uh, visual arts discipline versus like performing arts disciplines, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that everybody who is a high creative can apply their creativity across a whole bunch of dis different disciplines. They just have to find the specific area within that discipline, right? So for me, for the longest time, I was looking for my visual arts discipline and it turned out to be photography. Mm -hmm. But then I remember back to my, when I was a kid, I used to draw a lot, mm -hmm. a lot. I mean, I used mm -hmm. to draw a lot. There was a time that I was obsessed with drawing. Um, and so now here at, you know, at the age where I have snow on the roof. Um, let's just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm finding myself experimenting with painting um, for the first time in my life. Wow. And, and it's because what, because what I want to paint and how I want to paint is informed by other disciplines that I am really well-versed in. I think the painting experiment will be... Uh, enriched and can be successful mm -hmm. um, because I'm not starting from scratch. I'm starting by building from other bricks that I have, you know, um, but that creative impulse, people talk about, uh, you know, creatives being fl flighty, um, creatives being flaky, um, that whole, you know, find one thing and concentrate on it. Mm -hmm. That whole thing. Right. Mm -hmm. For me, that's the one thing is creativity. Concentrate on that. Mm -hmm. Right? I can't have everything at once. <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean? You know, everybody, people say, oh, you can't have everything or you can't do everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just think I can't do everything at one time. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Right? But as short as my life is, it's also long. So I can, I can you know, apply my creativity in lots of different ways. And for me, the, as long as for me at this point, the discipline comes in as long as what I'm doing 
is pointing in the direction I'm going, right? I really want to learn to knit, for instance, but I don't learn to knit at this point because it doesn't point in the direction that I'm going. Because I know that my creative obsessive ass will like spend three months knitting and other things will fall by the wayside, right? So that impulse is, um, it's interesting. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because it, again, it's a, it's two sides of a right? Um, because when you, when you are multidisciplinary, how do you harness that to get something done? If you want to get something done, how do you harness that? Well, that's for sure. True. Yeah. yeah. I think it, I think it is interesting, like how artists can get stuck in one discipline because also it feels like, well, you only, you know, have so many hours in a day and you want to get really good at one thing, you mm -hmm. know? Um, mm -hmm. And um, I think it's amazing to be open to transferring over to different things. Like for myself, you know, I, and I actually read fairly recently some, um, I forgot who said it, you know, that like what you end up doing is almost like, um, an, I don't know, an accident, but that it could have been anything else, you know? And, right. and, and I think that's so interesting because for me, it's like, no, like, but painting's my thing, right? You know, but then to think like, well, what if I was, ex you know, like, what if I was exposed to an amazing teacher? I mean, dance has always been something that has been very dear to my heart. Um, I took one uh, modern class when I was in seventh grade and I liked it, but I, I never pursued it. And I never, you know, I ended up in high school, I ended up doing running and I never did any of the dance stuff, you know, but could my life have gone in a different direction, you know, right, and, right. but also like to, to try different things to get out of, you know, like, so recently I started doing like a little Jewish, like singing circle of like, I wanted to like learn more melodies and, you know, and, and so we, we tried it and, you know, it, it worked. Um, but, and like, okay, I'm gonna, we're going to try it again, you know, and, I, and I'm, I'm asking myself like, why are, why am I so intense about this? Like what, I'm trying to under, <laughs> you know, I'm trying to under, I might, I can get very intense in general, but like, you know, what, what is it? Like, I'm not, a, I'm not a great singer, you know, like I don't really, maybe if I had a lot of teaching, I might have learned how to use my voice, but um, at this point, again, I don't know what I'm going to invest in, even though it could be great too, you know, but like asking myself, like, and then I'm like, well, you know, I don't really know how to play the guitar. I know a couple chords, but me, like, I'm kind of in, I'm enjoying trying to master songs, trying to learn them, thinking about the melody, thinking about the translation of the words, um, and I'm like, maybe this is taking me in an interesting path. And if nothing else, it's interesting to do something that is not just my thing, right. you know, because that, that whole thing has its own pressure and its own expectation. So I think um, the openness, I mean, I think it's like, yeah, I think there's something really healthy and, and I, and about just being, a creative person, you know, and that it's not like, cause I just feel like it's so, um, 
it's so consumerized. It's so commercialized. It's so like, I don't know, like this whole trying to be a, you know, trying to monetize your creativity and, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, (laughs) you -hmm. know, and like everything needs to have a purpose to like make money. And Mm -hmm. I just feel like it's, it can get, yeah. I think that, that, that you can have, I like to think of it as my primary thing versus my only thing, mm-hmm. right? And I like to think that the other things that I like to pursue, even if they're temporary, inform my primary thing, mm-hmm. right? So right now, my primary thing is teaching. Mm-hmm. My secondary thing is photography. Mm-hmm. Uh, secondary, they're like right neck and neck. You know, mm-hmm. they kind of like toggle a little bit. Although teaching is, like, you know, that's that's my thing, right? Um, the information that you get and the inspiration that you get and even the respite that you can get from pursuing something else creative or learning something else creative that will then potentially transform your primary thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, in essence, it's all the same. Mm-hmm. Right? It's all taking raw materials and what most people see as making something out of nothing, right? Um, some acrylics and a blank canvas and some ra- what seem like random paintbrushes or your hands or sponges or whatever or splatters or whatever is basically just taking raw materials and assembling them into a something an expression of something right in music that's notes and depending on depending on your musical style those that musical style is usually confined to a certain number of notes to a fixed number of notes in fact and think about all the music that has been created in the within those parameters Mm -hmm. everything all the expression that's been made with that set of notes Mm -hmm. right assembled with that set of experiences that means of expression that voice even so you're taking those component pieces and putting them to putting them together and ending up with a means of expression. Right? Which is why which is why we can't we can't objectively value for instance you were talking about voice. Right? Um some of my favorite singers are singers that whose voices are by no means conventional. People like some of the most famous singers in the world, Billie Holiday. Billie Holiday, compared to her contemporaries, her voice was, in fact, not very pretty. But it's what she did with that voice. Mm -hmm. It's how she chose to express. And for her, it's just 12 notes. How How she decided to express those 12 notes have, in fact, sealed her legacy for as long as human beings listen to music from the time she was born to now, right? So 
it's it's I find it fascinating that it's all puzzle making. Right. Mm-hmm. We get the different pieces and we stick them together and then a picture pops up. You know. So the singing. You know, if you if you spend some time and, you know, you don't have to spend the time singing to become a professional singer. Right. A, a singer in front of audiences, whatever. But you can sing and that singing makes its way into the canvas. That music, that movement makes its way into the canvas. Which is a beautiful thing. That you know, is. Which is a beautiful thing. I mean, somebody recently, um, I read something recently about being able to pursue things not for it to become something, but for the value of just experiencing it. For sure, for sure. And how valuable that is. Yeah, I mean, as you're talking about it, I'm thinking about, well, number one, I like how you're talking about like kind of the simplicity of it when you look at it, that it's like so few materials. I mean, it's the same with, you know, with art, there's really only, I don't know, like eight colors really also, Um, you know, and like everything that you do with it, it's like kind of incredible. I guess it's also with like human beings, like, you know, we have like pretty much everything the same except for like whatever it is, you know, like percent or less or whatever, but we all like look different and act different. And um, so it's like, it's interesting to look at it in terms of that simplicity. Um, And then also there's something else you were saying that I, I forgot, but um, hmm, what was the last thing that you said? Um, I don't remember. (laughs) 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 We were talking about puzzles. About how everything is puzzles and Oh, well I think also oh what you you know, (laughs) the last thing you said was about how um like that it to enjoy it for its own sake. Oh yeah. You know, and I, I think that is really like I think it's all about it's all about expansion of the mind, in my opinion. You know, that yeah all art should expand the mind or the experience of art should expand the mind. Um, so I feel like it gets your mind like thinking in a different way. And, and that's, that's reason enough to do anything. Yeah. You know, it really is. It really is. So it doesn't, everything does not have to be goal oriented. For sure. For sure. Yeah. You know, and I I think if we thought of, our creativity if we thought of the impulse as as funneling energy into what it is we want to do um mm. it would be it would be a lot more useful you're saying that if we thought of our creativity as just a way to kind of like exercise just a way to kind of get us our energy going whether it's whether it's getting our energy going or you know if you're, if you're on your primary and you're stuck somewhere, you know, getting off that path by, you know, going to spend an hour singing or whatever, Mm. if you need a distraction, if you need, you know, some other kind of energy, and then you can come back to your primary thing, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever that is, um, 
but it's I think I think looking at it as a lot more holistic, right? B- exactly because we can't turn it off. You can't turn off your creativity. You, you just can't. Um, so I like to think of it as, okay, I choose my primary thing and my primary thing chooses my heading, where the direction I want to go in, right? But I don't want to try to shut out the rest of my creativity in pursuit of that heading. You, you understand what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I can, I, there are other, there's other space there. As a matter of fact, exactly because, you know, the creative impulse can be fickle, right? It, it can, a lot of times we spend, we spend, we can spend days going crazy because the the motivation isn't there or you know this project is is mired somehow well the way to get out of that in my experience is to utilize my creativity in another direction for a minute that's why that's why that go make something is is such a that was my that was my saving principle during lockdowns was no matter how you feel, if you're feeling particularly intensely about any given thing, or if you're stuck somewhere, somehow in your brain, in your spirit, whatever, go make something, go apply your, and, and for me, it was physically go make something, go draw, go draw something, just go scribble on a piece of paper, whatever it is, go out to the garden, um, you know, make a dress, uh, make something you've never made before, you know, make something and that just the pursuit of making that something can help to pull you back to yourself, mm-hmm. you know? Um, mm-hmm. So viewing it as the whole of my creativity, um, which to me is, it's indescribable. Um that allows me to not get bogged down so easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good reaction for when you feel that type of not desire to be doing your primary or um, but being bogged down in whatever way. It kind of reminds me of um, uh, Julia, you know, Julia Cameron's book, The Artist's Way? Yes. Okay, yeah, of course. And, um, so she talks about like when she talks about like the artist date and she talks about like, um, like imagining that your creativity is like your child and that, um, basically that after a while, if you're dragging your child around everywhere, they're going to start like throwing a tantrum. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I feel that way with creativity that it's like, it's this gift you've been given. It's this child you've been given. And I feel like sometimes you try to just like yank its chain, like, come on, like, I need to finish, I need to finish this. I need to do this, you know, come yeah, on. Yeah. Yeah. And the child's just like, no, like, I'm done. I'm not your slave. You know, I'm not like gonna like do whatever you want, you know? <laughs> and then, and then it's like when you go and you like play, <laughs> you know, you go and you like, okay, yeah. fine, yeah. let's go play. Let's go do something that's totally different. Let's make clothes. Let's. You know, then your child's like having fun again. And then they're like, okay, fine. Now I'll do the chores you want me to do. And I'll, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 
I, I, I love that sort of personified view of creativity because that's what it, uh, to me, creativity is an organism. It's not, and, and, and it's, it's as beautiful and treacherous as the sea. You know, it, it can carry you places or it can drag you to its depths. That's the way it works. That's what it is. And our, our job as creatives is to navigate those waters Right. And, and, you know, so many, we, we watch so many people like either get to their destination or drown. Right. Um, and the, I mean, I think that's the gig. That's the, that's the challenge of it is how do I navigate these waters? You know, and, and I think for most creatives, most artists, um, whether they want to admit it or not, our, our reason for being is, um, to be understood, which means audience is required. You know, I think any, any time an artist says, oh, no, I don't need people to see. I'm like, uh, I don't know. That's a little suspect. I don't know. You might be lying to yourself because it's about expression. It's about expression to be understood so that people can see the world the way you see it, even for a moment, even for a moment. That's what it is. So would you say that you're, one of your biggest tips that you would give to navigate the waters is the kind of multidisciplinary approach? Or what would you say is one of your main tips for sailing? I think, I think to stay really attentive to where you are in the moment. I think you have to be really attentive to that. And you have to honor how you feel in the moment. If I was to, to think of something that's more universal, um, because everybody's not going to necessarily, I, I do think that people should should explore being multidisciplinary, I think, because that's sort of the natural state of creativity. And I think a lot of times the outside input that we get from people who aren't creative is find one thing, stick to one thing. Mm-hmm. But I think, and this may be controversial, in my opinion may be controversial, but I think that goes against the very nature of being creative, right? Um, but I would not say everybody should be multidisciplinary. Mm-hmm. It has to be multidisciplinary. <laughs> um, I would say, though, that it's key that you understand where you are in any given moment um, so that you have the, the awareness to be navigating, you know? So I know, I know that for the last six weeks, it's been rough getting motivated, staying motivated because here at the tail end of tail end at the transition with the whole COVID craziness and all the other craziness that's going on in the world, it's taken a toll on me. But if I don't understand that for myself, I can't do something about it. I can't, I can no longer navigate. I can only let the water take me where it wants to take me. Mm-hmm. Right. In which case I don't know where that is. I have no control over what that is at all. But if I understand why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling and I honor that, then I can get through it more readily. Doesn't, doesn't make it suck any less or you know what I mean? It does. It's not gonna. 
It's not going to necessarily change the way that I feel in that moment, but at least I can choose. Yeah, no, that's really good advice. Because I think, um, yeah, I feel like that kind of ties everything together. When you are in the moment, you can figure out, you know, what you want to do next. And even if you understand where you want to go eventually, that doesn't mean you have to you know, do it the second you can kind of feed, feed your soul in whatever way it needs in the moment, you know, before going. Yeah. Yeah. And that will help you go into that path. Um, what do you see for what you want for the future? Like if you're feeling bogged down now and what is it that you want more in, in life and what kind of dreams are you hoping for creative, creatively? Um, I want to keep doing what I'm doing and, and allow it to take me where, where I want it to go. Um, you know, I've set myself a heading. Um, uh, I want to be able to positively and productively, uh, influence the lives of the people that I meet in the world. Um, and I have been able to sculpt my professional life to do that. Comes with its challenges, um, comes with its day-to-days, it's entrepreneurial, so it's, it can be quite um, varied, uh, but that's what I want and that's, that's where I'm going. Uh, that's the heading I'm on and everything that I, everything else that I do has to lead me there. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I'm finding now with things that I'm, you know, things that I'm planning, for instance, for the, for the coming year is that all of the things that I'm doing kind of, they kind of mix together. They're kind of this spherical thing. Um, And, you know, for instance, our relationship, we're, we meet, we, we've met each other in several contexts, um, several different, in several different aspects that happen to be where we were able to come together and meet together, right? So we've been in spaces where you were an attendee in something that I was facilitating and we were artists in an art show together, right? So that kind of, that kind of synergy mm-hmm. in the different things that I'm doing is really important to me and I just want more of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I want more of that and I want people to pay me for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, um, I, I think that teaching, uh, we got that wrong in, when it comes to our systems. Mm. Um, we, we, you know, we pay the football players for sure. Um, exorbitant amounts of money to run around on a, on a pitch and kick a ball um, and we don't pay the people who shape the minds of everybody mm-hmm. in that way. Mm-hmm. We should be having drafts for teachers. Schools and school districts should be competing for salaries for teachers. Mm-hmm. You know, Mrs. Yankowitz of, you know, Queens should be, you know, top draft pick, um, you know, for PS 36, you know what I mean? And, and she's been drafted and given, you know, a $36 million contract for three years of teaching. 
because that's truly valuable. Mm-hmm. You know, it, yeah. and that's not to say anything against the, you know, the expert sportsman who spent his whole his or her whole, whole life learning to kick that ball in a in in ways that seem magical. It's not to say that at all. But in the grand scheme of things, that's not the same as Mrs. Yankowitz, who who has influenced the lives of 150 children for the rest of their lives who have become garbage men and CEOs and nurses and doctors and lawyers and artists, right? I mean, we have that completely reversed. For sure. Completely I, reversed. I like that you chose uh, Yankowitz too. That was <laughs> That was a good one. You know, I mean, it's 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 really it, that part of it's really interesting to me. So part of you know my teaching thing and why I started a, an organization of my own is because eventually what I want to be doing is I want to be able to bring other teachers who teach cool stuff mm. into my circles. Yeah. So that I can pay them well for what they do. Mm-hmm. Because. Because that's what teachers deserve. Wow. Um, where can people like find you or find the organization that you're you're doing or the classes you're doing? Um, people can always find me. Reach reach out to me on Instagram. I mean, that's the way a lot of people reach out to. I'm, yeah. I'm at the one MRC. Um, T H E the number one MRC. Um, you can also go to the Now House dot org t-h-e-n-o-w-h-o-u-s-e dot org that's for the organization the now house education group which oh, cool. is um which is the the organization i started a little under 10 years ago now um and it was to do it was specifically to be able to uh facilitate the things that i wanted to teach the seminars and workshops that i wanted to write uh, but also with the goal of bringing other teachers in to teach cool workshops and seminars as well. That's awesome. Um, Things that were, that are compelling and interesting and and lovely. And um, so, so to be able to grow a network of, of instructors um, who can teach really cool shit and get paid to do it. Yeah. Okay. I have to check that out too. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds good. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here. And for blossoming or lighting up our lives and all the lives of the people that you impact. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks.